So hello and welcome to another episode of the Sorbonne Messer podcast. As always with me, your host, Alan McGuire. Uh, some good news. This podcast has around 600 listeners a week. So we get about 100 plays and 500 downloads, um, as this statistics are telling me on the website, um, which is great. So I'd just like to give a huge thank to uh, all the guests. Uh, they've been great. It's been, it would have been impossible without them. You wouldn't have liked to just listen to me reading from a textbook. That would have been pointless. Uh, and um, I'd also like to thank people that have shared and subscribed and left reviews. Um, I say it every week and, and it's actually done some good. So thank you and please continue to do that. Uh, over the last two months, Sovereign has been heavily concentrating on politics, both um, national and regional. So if you want to go back and listen to previous episodes on how region, how um, regional politics interacts with national politics, um, municipalism, the rise of Vox, the importance of 15M, uh, and also the importance of the recent Catalan elections. Uh, today we're going to do a bit of history um, and we're going to be concentrating on the Basque country. Uh, today with me I have Maria Reyes Bastan. She is a researcher and she teaches Hispanic studies at Warwick University and we're going to be talking about the origins of Basque nationalism. So Maria, welcome to Sobre Mesa. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So Maria, pure interesting question. Uh, and just to let the listeners know, you know, you sent me some stuff to read about what you were studying. Um, so we're going to be talking a bit about that today. Uh, well, what you're researching, sorry. Um, but the one thing, the one thing that uh, is interesting is why is a Valenciano studying the history of Basque nationalism? <laughs> yeah, thank you. That is a question that, again, many, many people have asked me uh, during my PhD. Um, so, so, yeah, thank you for, for asking that. Um, I suppose, uh, you know, I don't, I don't actually um, know myself the answer. I guess uh, two things I'd say is that, um, well, my first language is also Valencian. Uh, so, you know, I, I also have kind of a second language like um, the Basque people uh, do. So I'm part of these uh, different regions of, of Spain. So uh -huh. I'm all, always been interested in like, again, regionalism and nationalism and different cultures um, in Spain. That's one of the reasons I suppose. Um, the other reason, and because you might ask, well, then why, why are you not doing Valencian nationalism? Um, <laughs> it is because um, I went to the Basque country, uh, sorry, to, to Northern Ireland, uh, when I was about, you know, 19, I think, with my parents. Uh, never had been there before. Um, and I found fascinating when I was walking around Belfast and I was looking at the walls that they had and the murals uh, with different paintings about the Basque country um, and Catalonia. So I became quite interested in this, uh, you know, why someone from Northern Ireland is talking about uh, the Basque country in particular. So I started to be really interested about these transnational connections uh, between movements, I would say. Yeah. That's the, yeah. Yeah. And, and another interesting thing that uh, is kind of a, a different take on, on this is sort of a concentration on rhetoric and language is you connect anti-colonialism with Basque nationalism. 
So what do they have in common? Like, what is your overall sort of argument, I suppose, or the connection you've made and that you've been researching? And uh, what do you mean specifically by anti-colonialism? Yeah, again, and thank you, thank you for asking this question as well, because it, it can be really confusing. And a lot of people have asked, what, what do you mean? Are you actually comparing uh, the Basque country with other um, with, with colonies? So maybe I would start by the the, the, the last question that you asked. So what is that, uh, Basque anti-colonialism? And then I can move on. Yeah. Uh, what what things do they uh, have in common? So usually when I talk about uh, Basque anti-colonialism, I'm mentioning, as you were saying before, uh, to the language or the theories against colonialism that were developed by Basque nationalists as early as in the late 19th century. And according to these theories that, again, were created um, as early as in the late uh, 19th century, the Basque country uh, had been colonized by the Spaniards and was therefore a colony within the Spanish states, uh, similar to Cuba or the Philippines. And these theories, what is important is that these theories persisted and were developed uh, during the 20th century, experiencing different challenge changes that I can go on about if you want. Uh, and these theories were also developed by ETA. You know, uh, that is uh, quite interesting because uh, part of the rhetoric of violence that ETA developed was that uh, the Basque country was a colony and therefore violence was necessary to free them from colonial mm. uh, rule. So in my thesis, what I do is I explore these different aims or uses of um, these theories. And I no. believe that they are not accidental, right? As in like, uh, they didn't use uh, these, these theories for the sake of it, but they had different uh, uses. Yeah. Uh, last thing I was want to, I want to say, because you were asking me what things do they have in common, is that, you know, I want to clarify that when I'm talking about anti-colonial theories, I don't mean necessarily that the Basque country is a colony. Uh -huh. I think, you know, I don't, I don't get into that debate because that's a very heated debate. But yeah. again, rather what I argue is that this anti-colonial uh, language has been appropriated since the 18th century. Uh -huh. So like, the, yeah, the, the, the theories of anti-colonialism have influenced, uh, have influenced how the movement and how it's sort of grown really. So you're really looking into the roots. And yeah. uh, how are you, how are you research? Like what, just very briefly, how are you, like, how do you research this sort of thing? Do you look at um, speeches or, or anything specific like that? Yeah, um, so, so I actually look basically on newspapers and newsletters because I oh. think it's the easiest way to kind of trace the changes of this language and also mm. trace what language is being used uh, so I've looked at like thousands and thousands of newsletters from uh, the late 19th century uh, until 1936 and it is actually wow. you know I, I, I'm happy that I use newsletters to, to do it because um, you know, with COVID, I couldn't access to other uh, documents if not, but thankfully, most of these newsletters are online. So oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, if, you know, anyone that goes to the Basque country, I think today, probably in the past as well, I, I can't really say, but I go every Christmas. Um, <laughs> um, and anyone that goes to the Basque country can really see that there is a different culture, um, but you could argue between the north of Spain and the south of Spain. Um, some people would argue different cultures within the regions. Um, 
and, and I suppose that's you know a different uh, a podcast talking about regional versus um, mm. national nationalism. Um, but yeah, I think you know there is a strong Basque identity. You can't deny. It. I mean, they've made films out of it. You know, a Basque surnames, and uh, there's lots. There's always there's jokes and uh, on both sides and things like that. So anyone can see that you know it, it is very different from Andalusia, say. And so, how would you describe the origins of Basque nationalism, um, and how did it become part of Spain? Yeah. Um, well, but no, absolutely. I'll be uh, happy to ask uh, answer this question. One thing that, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's completely uh, a different, uh, you know, like it, it looks like a completely different country, even climatically, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. How, how it rains in, uh, how much it rains in in the Basque country compared to, yeah, the really dry uh, climate in Andalusia. So yeah, it is definitely you can see the differences. I think that's another thing that you actually. Um, yeah, uh, made me study Basque nationalism when I went right. to the Basque country. Uh, so the origins of Basque nationalism, again, this is, uh, we could be doing the whole podcast about this. Um, but it's a question that is really long and has generated loads of uh, debate. And if you ask, uh, you know, this question to a different person, uh, they will re reply differently to me, I'm sure. So, you know, it depends on who asks, yeah. uh, who replies to the question. One thing that I think we should um, kind of note and have clear is that Euskadi or the Basque country as we know it today has never existed as an independent political entity or a national or independent national state before. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we kind of need, need, need to take into account. However, yeah. what, what is true and as well this also we need to take into account is that before the 16th century, some of the territories that we know uh, today as Euskadi form part of the kingdom of uh, Navarra, El uh -huh, Reino de Navarra. Uh -huh. yeah. um, this kingdom was conquered uh, and integrated into Castile by Castile in uh, 1512. Uh -huh. um, although after this conquest, the former territories of Navarra uh, kept the local institutions, laws and privileges, which are known as fueros. Uh -huh. um, and these, however, were to disappear after the process of centralization and standardization that the Spanish monarchs were carrying out since the 16th century. Uh -huh. And uh, finally, this process uh, of abolition of fueros and local uh, privileges uh, were completed after the so-called Carlis Wars uh, mm -hmm. in the 19th century. So these loss of fueros and like the resentment that that generation uh, generated are very essential for the understanding. So the fueros were like, uh, sorry, the fueros no. were like, um, like privileges or, or like laws and the... Yeah, fueros were like different local institutions, laws, privileges. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're very, very important for the uh -huh. for the understanding of the emergence of, of Basque nationalism. Right. And alongside, of course, other factors. I'm not saying that that's the only one. No, no. Factors such as, for example, um, the industrialization process that uh -huh. took place in the 19th century, um, and that in particular had a big effect in the Basque in 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 the Basque countries. Sorry, it took place obviously in Spain, but had a very big impact in in Euskadi. It's also very very important. Mm. Um. The founder of Basque nationalism, Sabino Arana, 
was was actually to launch uh, a new mo movement, which was to bring new challenges to this process that I was talking about, this process of nationalization and centralization. Um, and he, apart from restoring the fueros, he sought to proclaim the independence of, of Euskadi. Right. And in order to do this, he created this powerful and influential narrative, which was able to justify uh, Basque independent, independence claims, uh, which actually have, uh, you know, a colonial kind of tone as well. Yeah. And I'm actually, you know, happy, happy to talk about this narrative a bit more if you want. Uh, yes, that, please. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> Sabino Arana sounds interesting, uh, but he so he was so he was he, he basically created the movement to get the Fueros reinstated and to sort of break away from Spain. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, he, he just did everything. But obviously, um, you know, this this um, thing that I was talking about, the restoration of Fueros, uh, was not only invented uh, by, by Sabino Arana. He drew right. from uh, Carlism, which was a okay. movement that sought to to restore the fueros yeah. uh, but what Sabino Arana did rather than inventing the movement what he did is like he created and put together different elements and, and myths uh you know in past, both past history and, and again myths uh put them all together to create this new rhetoric and language um so you know rather than an inventor I would call him like a compilator he compiled right, okay. um all these things and he created uh, this narrative, which is not unique to the Basque case, is, uh, you know, common to every um, nationalist movement. Um, and it was based, uh, you know, on this rhetoric <clears throat> of uh, a golden age in which the Basque were free and independent. Uh -huh. uh, they had, you know, uh, this great paradise with them. Um, and then uh, he talked about like a degrading or decadent present, which was, uh, you know, produced after the invasion of Euskadi uh -huh. in the 19th century by Spain. Obviously, this is part of a narrative that doesn't, it's not necessarily true. And then he talks about an utopian future, which obviously was the independence. So that narrative. Right. You know, yeah, it's very similar to the narrative of, um, I suppose, Donald Trump. I mean, mm. Donald Trump, you can't really call America a colony. <laughs> that would be absurd. <laughs> but um, but I like as well, I suppose, movements on the left and the right, really. Uh, like yeah, well, Catalonia, I suppose, being the most um, most relevant example today, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, and that is a really important element that we have to take into account that the Basque country is not it's not unique. Um, you know, it, it is this, as you were saying, a lot of different movements around the world have the same rhetoric. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we have to put uh, the Basque nationalists within all these um, ethno nationalist movements that mm. all have a similar rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose as well, like, you know, more radical, like radical ones on, on both sides. Uh, yeah, uh, the I mean Franco in the Civil War, uh, you know, the, they they were sort of we're going to save Spain from the Reds and and I suppose you know Lenin against the the Tsars in in Russia. Uh, well, mm -hmm. that's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, so how so uh, so it creates this narrative, um, and then we're sort of moving on to um, the emergence of the independence movement. Um, so 
often you can't if, if you say Basque nationalism in one at the beginning of a sentence the end of the sentence is something to do with ETA I mean you ETA is always in the same breath uh, as Basque nationalism um, and there's been a lot of there's been a lot of um, talk around it recently following the ceasefire several years ago and um, you know there's a lot of media around it as well um, but what was it like before ETA and how did how did they become such a big part of the nationalist movement? Yeah, um, I I have to agree with you. I've seen that uh, it is a problem. I think that every time that you mention uh, Basque nationalism, people associate it with with ETA, and that is uh, something wrong because obviously that has that makes Basque nationalism to have a really negative and violent connotation. Mm. Um, that's one of the reasons why actually my thesis focuses on the period pre-ETA because I believe that that is a very rich uh, period that hasn't been as explored as a period um of of ETA uh -huh. so yeah um vast nationalism is a very very vast ideology uh that has different branches aims and even interpretations uh so we must not associate vast nationalism with violence that is something um that I think Spanish nationalists have done yeah. uh, and I think that provides a very limited understanding of, of the past conflict so we need to kind of you know get away from from that um interpretation um, in terms of how Bas was Basque nationalism before ETA, that's also something that, that, that you asked, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, again, that is a that's a that's a really long answer. I, I'll go with a short one and then if oh. you want we can we can uh, yeah. talk about that. But uh, once again, if we answer that question, um, we have to we have to take into account um, the impact of Sabino Arana, right? That's uh -huh. the of the movement. So in his first years, uh, we, he was uh, writing primarily in, in the last decades of the 19th century. So in the first years, he started advocating for independence, so that for the complete uh, independence of Euskadi from the Spanish states. But at the end of his life, he began to contemplate autonomy as an option. Right. Um, and he was not able to develop or complete this project, this last project of autonomy completely, because he died um, really prematurely in uh, 1903. The reason why I'm explaining uh, about, you know, about this or about Arana, uh, Arana's confusing, about Arana's confusing political project, is because uh, this led to the emergence of two main branches within the movement. Hmm. One that pursued independence, uh, and which that branch came to be known as the radical, and one that pursued autonomy, and that came to known as the moderate. Uh -huh. And these two branches had to initially coexist within the same party, which I'm sure we've heard, obviously, the Basque Nationalist Party. Uh -huh. uh, although, obviously, different divisions took place uh, in, in, during uh, the 20th century. And ETA belongs to the radical branch, uh -huh. right? Whereas the Basque Nationalist Party belongs to the more moderate um, uh, front. So, uh -huh. you know, ETA is perhaps the most important or known organization within the radical branch, but we don't need to associate it again necessarily the whole movement uh, with, with violence. I mean, there was like a radical branch before ETA, and there's been a radical branch after ETA. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all the same branch, but the branch yeah. has different kind of ramifications. Yeah, yeah. Really that that and, way. And radical doesn't necessarily mean violent either. It just means independence rather than autonomy, right? 
I believe it doesn't imply violence. I think Sabine and Anna left really clear that, uh, you know, um, the Basque movement shouldn't pursue violence. However, right. it's true that when you study the rhetoric of, of the early years of nationalism, you can see um, appellations to violence, you can see different references, but these references are, uh, I don't think they, they meant to use, uh, you know, violence. You can see yeah, um, but it is true that after uh, 1916, which was uh, after the Easter Rising, the radical branch begins to talk about violence more explicitly than Sabino Arana, and violence begins to be considered an option. Mm, right. And uh, the moderate branch and the, the radical branch, I suppose you can see them today as, as Bildu and the PNV, the uh, the Basque hmm. Nationalist Party, which I think yeah. is like the oldest political party in Spain, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. read somewhere. Yeah. Um, but so, how did they? Um, how did they sort of develop? Did they? Because you said they were initially they were in the same party. Did they? Did they split off? And and. Yeah, yeah. They they split, and again, usually the the most uh, famous split is that of ETA. ETA obviously uh, emerged from the from the young generations of the Basque Nationalist Party, but yeah, there were splits uh, before uh, in the twentieth century that I explore um, in the thesis. Um, so, for example, um, the first one is in 1921. Uh -huh. um, there's uh, a group called Averri, uh, which is kind of uh, tired of the moderate um, thought of the Basque Nationalist Party that, you know, has become really, really moderate in the during the decree war. Um, has uh, alienated with with um, with the Catalan uh, nationalists and wants to pursue um, autonomy. Um, so yeah, in the in nineteen twenty one, that's the first kind of uh, big division of of the movement. Uh, the radicals have their own uh, newsletters. They have their own. Um, uh, you know, organizations, and uh, they develop a very strong anti-colonial language there. Um, and then uh, there's another split, and that split is way more, uh, it's smaller than the one, because they, they reunite, sorry, in 1930. Okay. Uh, so the two branches, branches merged together, uh -huh. but that didn't last, actually. And in um, 1933, 1934, there's, a, there's another um, division of the right. radical. Uh, but again, this was quite way smaller than, uh -huh. than the first. And I suppose that's around the time of the Second Republic. You've got the, you know, the Civil War coming up as well. How did the, how did Basque nationalism on the radical and the moderate side, how did it respond to um, the formation of the Second Republic and and the uh, the the uh, Franco coup? Yeah. So, uh, well, again, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you asked this again. Asked this again because um, the reason of this division uh, between branch uh, between branches in the Second Republic was actually um, because of the Second Republic uh, right. because they had different uh, conceptions of what relationship they wanted to establish with the Second Republic. Uh -huh. um, so the, the Basque Nationalist Party, when the Republic comes, obviously uh, the Basque Nationalist Party is very different to the new regime. Uh, you know, it's very Catholic and quite conservative. Right. Uh, Second Republic obviously is not. 
Um, it is very liberal, mm. um, very different, again, to the Basque Nationalist Party. However, uh, Catalan uh, nationalists achieved uh, an statue of autonomy very early on yeah. uh, in the Second Republic, and Basque Nationalist Party really wants to, to do the same and follow right. the Catalan model. Um, they do try constantly, they create different projects, uh, and it's not until 1936, in the midst of the, the Civil War, that they achieve it. The wow. radical branch uh, is, however, very against it. Uh, they don't want to pursue autonomy, and they keep criticizing the main uh, branch uh, for wanting autonomy. What they want is the complete separation of uh, Euskadi uh, from Spain. Uh, and they're very clear about that in the newsletters. They refuse completely any cooperation with the oppressor states, as they call them. They develop loads of different anti-colonial theories against Spain, and they uh -huh. use those. Um, they, they claim that the Second Republic is as imperialistic as it is as it was before. Uh -huh. um, so, so yeah. So they they. Um, the radical branch does not want to to uh, establish autonomy, uh, pursue autonomy at all, and that is the reason, one of the reasons that in 1933 um, they split from, right. from the Basque uh, Nationalist Party. And um, I suppose the the like sort of following 40 years um, under Franco's rule as well really really did. Uh, did change the well change and probably like reinforce the, the 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 narrative how how did how did what what's your opinion on how bus nationalism re, like um reacted to franco's period yeah so i have to say that is um the, not it's not my uh kind of area of specialism so uh -huh. if i say something wrong uh i i apologize from what uh from what I know, um, is that obviously the exile uh, that took, takes place after um, mm. after the, the the coup and after the nationalists win the war, loads of nationalists, uh, Basque nationalists, have to go into exile. Uh, loads of them go to France. Many others go to to Latin America. From what I've read, uh, there's like a radicalization process that takes place during Francoism, especially in the exile. We need to take into account that, uh, you know, they, they are more free to, to um, write freely um, without the, the fear of censorship in uh, Latin America. Uh -huh. They come into contact with, with other nationalist groups uh -huh. uh, in Latin America. Um, and I know that there's different newsletters that, um, that are developed in the exiled uh, years and that they, they are very radical and that i really you know that that i want that to be my next project actually oh wow really well that's yeah. like uh, that's like the um birth years i suppose like etta was born during the franco period wasn't it because it started out as a it started out as like a against francoism uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've, I remember what, uh, whilst we were talking that there's a, there's a really famous uh, scholar that I actually, um, you know, really like that he talks about how Francoism actually made the occupation of Euskadi real. So obviously before Sabine Rana was talking um, about, again, Spain being a colony and with uh -huh. Francoism, uh, and the re the massive repression in in the Basque country and the massive censorship, he actually gives this um, 
it makes the occupation of Euskadi seem real. Um, and that yeah. is why ETA's uh, leaders would be talking as well about Euskadi being a colony and the need to free it through violence. Mm. And, and as, yeah, the, 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 the narrative of anti-colonialism has taken all the way through from the 19th century right until you know, even I mean, even after the, the the after they've sort of dissolved ETA, you can still hear elements of it today, really. Yeah, absolutely. I um I actually remember I when when I was in the archives uh, uh, two years ago, uh, one one person I was in the Basque Country and one person asked me um, what I was researching about, and I told him that I was researching anti-colonialism, and he was like, "Oh well, uh, yeah, good luck with that," because uh, you know. But hopefully you can discover how colonized we've been or something like that so it was like quite interesting to yeah to see that uh still that rhetoric still in in the in, you know, yeah as of 20 yeah like to, to hear it rather than read it in a you know a really old newsletter like to actually hear it by said by a modern person yeah yeah absolutely weird. and i think um you know and and even in valencia you can hear it which is um mental <laughs> but, like, yeah, you yeah i've heard it before um you know to to compare the valencia with with a colony the one thing i wanted to um finish on was um sort of how we started really was the links between um basque nationalist and you know anti-colonialist rhetoric and how it connects with Ireland, because I think that was a really important. I mean, you can't really look at anti-colonialism without looking at the wider picture. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, around the time of the, the various splits you were talking about as well, you know, you had the Easter Rising. Um, then you have, you know, a lot of people often compare the IRA to ETA. Um, as Catalonia is compared to Scotland now, everyone likes to compare things. Um, but there was actually a link between uh, Basque nationalism and, uh, you know, and the anti-colonialist rhetoric of Ireland as well. Um, could you talk, tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Any any excuse to talk about Ireland, I I, I love <laughs> it. Um, I I love Ireland. I'm obsessed with with Irish uh, nationalism. Um, so so yeah, and actually it is true as you were saying. Uh, you know, there's different books and works that have been talking about uh, the IRA and ETA, but these connections start way before. Um, right. You know, they start even in yeah, earlier 20th century, and there's different works now that are. Uh, talking about that now and that have been really valuable for for my thesis so not I don't want to say that I'm a pioneer of this because not, not <laughs> at all um, but yeah Ireland has been a really really important source of connection um, for, since the early year source and not only of, of, of you know connection um, it always has been you know it has kind of acted as a laboratory uh, where right. kind of experiments were taking place and then the uh, Basques always observed them and uh, tried to reproduce them or not uh, to to the to the movement mm. uh, so for example yeah I mean the Easter rising had a massive impact in uh, in Basque nationalism is uh, not the first time that uh, Irish nationalists have used violence uh, but it was, you know, very, um, it had a massive impact, not only in the Basque country, but uh, elsewhere. Um, and uh, there's different studies that talk about 
uh, how the East Rising inspired many anti-colonial uh, movements. Right. In the past case, for example, uh, I would say that one of the main impacts they had, uh, the East Rising had in, in uh, past nationalism, it has to do with, with colonialism. Um, before then, uh, the two branches of nationalism, both radicals and, and the moderates, uh, believed that colonialism was bad, of course, uh, but that of Britain wasn't as bad. Uh, right, believed, okay. You know, they believed that British colonialism, due to the superior alleged nature of the British, uh, was not too bad. Um, wow. That changes with the Easter Rising, and this is something that hasn't been explored that much. During the Easter Rising, obviously, it is very evident the British are not as benevolent as um, the Irish were, as the Basque were talking about. Yeah. And you can see a really big change in rhetoric there through the radicals that start supporting uh, the Easter Rising. The moderates, however, do not support the Easter Rising, they support the British. Right. Um, and the, the the radicals start like again looking at Ireland uh, and saying, oh, actually, yeah. British imperialism is also uh, pretty awful. Um, and they start, uh, you know, you, you, you see that shift very clearly that since that moment, um, Basque, uh, Basque began to condemn only Basque radicals, every kind of uh, colonialism. Right. So, wow. so yeah, in, that is uh, the Easter Rising, but then there's much that, you know, could be said about different uh, events of Irish uh, nationalist history, such as the uh, Irish independent movement, um, and yeah, I'll, I'll uh, shut up now, but one last thing is that uh, apart from, um, you know, being inspired by the Irish events, uh, Basque nationalists also established direct um, links with, with Irish nationalists. Right. Wow. Um, what did they, what did the links accomplish? Like, what did they, what, what were they doing with these links? That sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they did accomplish, uh, they, they did um, inspire generations of bad nationalists. They were more one-sided. So obviously, you know, it was more, I believe, the, the Irish um, kind of um, inspiring the Basques. Uh -huh. uh, so for example, in the, in the early 20s, uh, there's, a Basque, there's an Irish nationalist that travels all the way to, to Bilbao. I think he was coming from Argentina and on his way to Ireland, uh, he, he goes to um, Bilbao and uh, he stays there for a couple of either weeks or months and he delivers different conferences about, uh, you know, giving an example to the Basques of how they need to achieve independence like the Irish. Yeah. Um, and for example, he inspired the creation of um, the first woman association in the Basque country wow. uh, that imitated the, the Irish one. So that is, um, yeah, yeah, one example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, wow, that's really, it's really interesting how, how these movements have, uh, how, how they've, they've uh, helped each other and, and learned from each other, really, um, mm. and influenced each other as well. Um, I, I'd just like to get your, I haven't seen it personally, Patria on HBO, um, or there's another, I think there's an Eta documentary on Amazon. I'm not sure, I haven't mm. seen that one yet, but there's been plenty on Netflix as well. Um, what's your opinion on on Patria? Is it any good? Should I watch it? <laughs> Should the listeners watch it? <laughs> I mean, um, I do. I don't know. I have conflicting views about it because I um, I do like it and I enjoyed reading the the book that that came up before. 
I like the series, uh, you know, watch it, watch it with my, my partner, um, who is English to, to, to kind of show her, uh, oh, okay. but, um, I don't know. I just at the same time, I think that, uh, Adam Buru, who was the person that wrote the novel, um, obviously has a very biased uh, opinion about ETA right. and we must not forget that uh, and in some ways that is reflected in the series uh, sometimes the series and the novel tends to portray um, ETA's uh, members as you know these kind of youngsters that didn't know what they were doing and they just use violence irrationally um, mm -hmm. and obviously you know um, I do think that uh, Etta thought kind of very carefully, at least during the earliest years, about the, the victims. Uh, I'm not saying, uh, you know, I just think that that is a thing that you can, it's not quite objective entirely, but yeah. I do recommend watching it to learn uh, about the project and kind of how we, about, not about the project, sorry, about the bus conflict um in a uh -huh. kind of small town i think that is a very good perspective to learn about last country so i would say it has good and bad things yeah it's a, it sounds a bit like the uh a lot of what a lot of people were saying about the crown like right. uh, you know um <laughs> it's good for history but remember it's it's a drama yeah exactly it is it is a drama you know yeah. and um you know I, I i cried watching it i have to admit and uh he's um but but yeah we have to take that into account of where where he comes from and i really like adam Bulu as a writer but uh obviously again he's not entirely objective so we need to take that into account uh, yeah i suppose you know what writer is objective really yeah, um, that is but, <laughs> no i think you've sold it to me i'll, I'll try and i'm tempted i'm a bit bored of netflix i might cancel it Get HBO. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can get it in the UK. Oh, you're based in Spain, so you're. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I think you think it is on HBO somewhere. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much, Maria. That was an absolutely fascinating uh, insight into Basque nationalism and and um, you know how we've got here today, really. I suppose, mm -hmm. like with the regional politics. So, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for for having me. <laughs> Okay, um, as always, if you like uh, what you've just heard, please share and subscribe this podcast with your friends and family. Um, would be would be a great thing to get a thousand listeners a week by the end of 2021. Uh, it's a bit ambitious, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to have some goals or something during this coronavirus case. Um, also a shout out to people that have been sending in their emails. Um, I've had several emails from people suggesting episodes or just saying hi. Um, so thank you very much for those emails. You can reach us at the.sobremesa.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I'd also like to ask uh, if, if there is anyone out there who um, knows about the the um the what they're calling the trans law that's been proposed in spain um or if you know someone that would like to come on the show and talk about it i appreciate it's not an easy topic to talk about i would like to do a show on it um but obviously i'm only going to do it if i can get the right guest um for, for the whole of march we are covering uh different topics we're moving away from regional politics and we're going to move towards uh, gender and we're going to be kicking off with an introduction to Spanish feminism uh, next week.
So I hope you'll join me for that. Uh, thank you, and I hope you have a good week. Thank you.